My good friend Joe Olson is retired now, but he served as a preacher for many years, and he's recently begun to preach at Claremont Church. In fact, this morning he's, he's preaching at Claremont Church there in, in, uh, in the county. But when he was younger, he was searching through his closet one Sunday morning for a tie, and he found a cardboard shoebox. And he opened it up, and when he opened it up, there was three eggs in it and $1,000 and $1 bills. And uh, he was perplexed. He called his wife and said, honey, I found this box. What is this box? And she's embarrassed by it. She's embarrassed. She said, I, I, I've been keeping that box for 30 years. And she said, I just didn't want to hurt your feelings. And uh, he said, what's the egg? She said, well, every time you preached a dud of a message, I put an egg in the box. And, uh, and Joe was like, why would I be discouraged about that? 30 years, three eggs, that's not bad. She's actually feeling kind of good about himself. But then he says, well, what's the $1,001 bills? And she said, well, every time I got a dozen, I sold them to the neighbor for a dollar. <laughs> so that's not a true story. It was really, it was really only $500 in the box. <laughs> Uh, Joe, I know you're going to listen to that. Last, uh, last week, we, uh, we finished the book of Daniel, and uh, so I sat down this week early on and began to say, Lord, what, what, what do I speak on for the, the next year, actually, looking through the whole year? So one of the things I'm going to do beginning in September is I'm going to do six messages before leading up to our fall missions conference, fall missions emphasis. I'm, I'm going to speak on the, the, some of the hard sayings of Jesus. And uh, I'm going to take three sayings that are hard to understand, and I'm going to take three sayings that are hard to live out. And that's what we're going to do the first six weeks of September. That left us with two weeks in August. And I told Ann, this is, this is hard for me, not knowing what I'm preaching on from, from week to week. And so, you know, when we have a plan laid out, it's a whole lot easier. I sit down, and I, I know what I'm speaking on, and I, and I go to work. So I began to just sit at my desk and pray and think and just ask the Lord what I should speak on for these next couple of Sundays, and, and it actually took me till Wednesday, I think it was, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me. I know that's mystical, I know it's very arbitrary, but I did. I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and I felt like the Lord said, speak to the issues that, are, that you're wrestling with, that you're dealing with. And when, when I said that, when I felt like the Lord said that to me, it was easy. I knew what I wanted to speak on for this Sunday and for next. And so, this Sunday and next, I'm going to speak on serving, and this Sunday I'm going to speak on serving the poor, and then next week I'm going to speak on serving our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, how we can serve them. And, and you know, then I thought about the fact that we're in a, in a sign-up-for-ministry service kind of time in our church, and so I thought, hey, maybe all of this will just deepen our own commitment to serving. So for the next two weeks, serving the poor is going to be our subject this morning, and then serving the persecuted is going to be what we're going to talk about, uh, about next week. And I hope to show you God's heart and, and what it means to, how we can practically live this out, serving, serving others, serving the poor, serving the persecuted. That's my goal. And so as I begin this morning, I, I want to, in fact, let me, let me pray. Let me pray. Lord, give us, give us attentive ears. Lord, this is going to be a different sort of message, somewhat topical. And, but Lord, give us ears to hear. Help us to um, listen for your heart. And then, Lord, by your Spirit, would you speak to us how to practically live out the things that we're going to talk about today. And I ask this, that you might receive glory and honor 
in and through us, but that people might be loved through us, that the Lord Jesus might love others through us. So uh, speak to us now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I begin, there's three difficulties in talking about this subject. One of them is the scope of the material when it comes to poverty. It's immense. There are so many verses in the Bible about, about poverty, making it one of the most prominent subjects in the Word of God. Another difficulty in talking about this would be the diversity of the subject, okay, on poverty. For instance, the Bible says that God rewards faithfulness with riches, and then he also says that it's harder for the rich man to get into heaven than it is for the camel to go through the eye of the needle, whatever that specific saying meant. So this is somewhat of a, uh, of a diverse topic as well. And then finally, the difficulty in talking about poverty is its complexity. It's, you know, Poverty is such a complex issue, it paralyzes us, I think. It can paralyze us, let me say that, with inactivity. For instance, is a family in America making $25,000 per year, doesn't have cable TV, is that person a poor person? Well, according to our definition of poverty in America, it is. Or is the family eking out on less than $1 a day, always hungry, not having enough shelter even to cover themselves, is that person poor? Are there poor people in our church? Are, are some of us poor? What causes poverty? I mean, this is an extremely complex subject, okay? So those are the difficulties that we just note as, as we begin. So let me start by defining poverty, because the truth is, if we're operating on different definitions, then we're, we're going to miss each other, right? I mean, that happens in just every realm of life, in theology in particular. If we have different definitions of things, and we're talking, we're going to be talking past each other because we don't mean the same thing. So let me just define poverty, at least for our study this morning. There are two kinds of poverty, actually. One of them is called relative poverty, and the other is absolute poverty. Relative poverty is finding oneself below the averages of others. There's this average of what everybody makes in your culture, and there's certain indexes, and you people that are really smart with, with money and all that kind of stuff, statistics, you would probably know how they come up with these, these numbers, but there's a certain number based on the averages that Americans make that is considered to be poverty. And, uh, and that number in our country today is 12 point seven, or excuse me, is, uh, is a family of four making $25,000 or less are considered to be poor. That's 12.7% of our population or 43 million Americans. Uh, some of us might be considered poor in our, in our church this morning based on those averages. I remember when I, Ann and I were first married and lived here in Surrey, we, uh, we qualified for food stamps and for the WIC program. And so we took advantage of the WIC program for a little while before deciding that really wasn't something that was created for us. But I think as far as averages were concerned, as far as poverty in America was concerned, we would have been considered the poor in America back, uh, back when... So, so we were poor. We surely weren't absolutely poor. We surely weren't objectively poor. And so that's the other definition. There is the absolute poverty. And let me talk about absolute poverty for a few minutes because when the Bible talks about poverty, and many, many times and in many ways it's talking about this absolute poverty. What is absolute poverty? Absolute poverty is destitution. It's, uh, you, you can't really put a dollar definition on it because 
it's not about dollars. It's about you don't have enough to eat and you don't have a, you don't have a place to live. So Jay Richards, he kind of helps paint the picture for us, and he says, compared with the American upper class, these Americans are poor, talking about the relative poor. But that's still relative poverty. It's defined by comparison with others rather than on an absolute scale. On the other hand, if someone is starving to death or freezing to death from exposure because they can't afford shelter, they're suffering absolute poverty. So absolute poverty is when you barely have enough to survive. You lack the ability to provide basic food and shelter for yourselves. Here are some heart-rending statistics. Nearly one half of the world's population, more than three billion people, these statistics are, statistics are a little bit old because I think we're at eight billion now. So more than three billion people at the time lived on just $2.50 a day. More than 1.3 billion, I know this is down to just below a billion now, live in extreme poverty, less than one a uh, dollar and a quarter a day. A million children worldwide are living in poverty. According to UNICEF, 22,000 children die each day due to poverty. 805 million people worldwide do not have enough food to eat. More than 750 million people lack adequate access to clean water. Diarrhea causes, caused by inadequate drinking water, sanitation, hand hygiene kills an estimated of estimated 842,000 people every year globally or approximately 2,300 people every day. In 2011, which is seven years ago, 165 million children under the age of five were stunted in their growth due to chronic malnutrition. What does it feel like to be the absolute poor in our world? Here's what it feels like. It means you sleep on the ground, no bed for covering. You don't have enough to eat, so you feel hungry. You have just two worn, torn, faded articles of clothing to your name. You can't go to the doctor or send your kids to school. You spend whatever you get at the moment you get it just to live. You have no choices. You have no prospects for improving. I want to read you that one part again because it really hit me. I didn't write that. I, I copied that. It says, you spend whatever you get at the moment you get it just to live. I remember back in, I don't know if it was in the 90s, my son Caleb and I went, it probably would have been in the 2000s, but my son and I went to Taliaco, Mexico on a mission trip. It was just the two of us. We went with, with a church up in, uh, up in Richmond. And Caleb and I were assigned, we went to Taliaco, and one night we would go spend out in the villages where they were seeking to plant churches in all these different villages. And so Caleb and I went to this one house, and, uh, and in this house, we, we, we were staying with this family, this believing family, and they had one room. It was a dirt floor, no running water. Um, it was made with sticks and mud and that sort of thing. They did have a bed where they had tied rope, and then they had some sort of mattress on the bed. We had cots that we had brought with us, and they offered us that room. They were building another room on their house. It was just the, the structure. There were no windows. There was no door. It did have a roof, no lights in it. And I remember as we came in that night, we stayed in this room, and they did have one oil lamp in the room. The couple that was loaning us their house, they slept in that other room. The other room had no beds, they didn't have no sheets, they didn't have a pillow, they didn't have a blanket. They just went in the room and laid on the ground and slept. Now, they're doing that for us. They were showing us hospitality, but my point is, I've never forgotten that. It made such an impact on me. I could not imagine sleeping on the ground, no cover, no nothing. But, but that's how many, many millions people live each day, live each day. Let me address 
four causes the Bible gives us for poverty, okay? And I'm going to defend these all biblically, all right? One of the causes for poverty is disaster and grave misfortune. The scripture says, talks about different disasters coming on the land and that lands people in, in abject poverty, in absolute poverty. One example would be uh, drought. The widow of Zarephath tells Elijah in uh, 1 Kings 17.12, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks and I'm going to go and prepare it for myself and my son and then we're going to eat it and then we're going to die. Within the span of a few days, Job loses his possessions, loses his family, loses his health. And I'm assuming at that point that at some at some at some level, Job's in absolute poverty. He doesn't have anything anymore. The New Testament provides us examples of tragedies like, for instance, in Acts 11, 28, 29, a famine struck the Roman world and the church in Judea is really hard hit. When I thought about a contemporary example a few years ago, a hurricane came through Haiti and really my brother goes to Haiti quite often and, and Haiti is just in absolute poverty everywhere. I mean, people are they have absolutely nothing and cannot seem to recover from that. So one reason for, for poverty would be disaster. Another one would be oppression or injustice. The Bible speaks about this a lot. In the scriptures, we find people oppressing the poor, people keeping the poor down using government and using laws. Many times, governments and wealthy landowners establish unjust laws and measures that result in the exploitation of others. For instance, Amos chapter 5, you'll remember from the, from the minor prophets, remember this? Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have dwelt, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. Remember Amos? Remember, this is the people up north in Samaria, and they've built these nice houses on the backs of the poor. And Amos says, because of your injustice, God's about to send the, the Syrians on you, and you're about to be destroyed. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong from him? Yes, to the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. Psalm 35, verse 10. Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortunes, which they have prescribed to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor and, and my people, that widows may be their prey, that they may rob the fatherless. Now, we'd like to think that that sort of injustice doesn't happen in our, in our world, right, in our country, but, but we've all seen the TV shows, right? And I think they're a reflection of somewhat in reality where the people who have can use their riches so as to use the law against people who have much less. And that's what we're talking about. Number three, the Bible says some people are poor because of character and personal choices, in the scripture, the poor are not always the victims. The poor are sometimes the poor because of choices that they've made, because of vice and indulgence and dishonesty and laziness and, and gluttony all play major roles in why the poor are poor. In fact, in our country, when you go out, say, and we just came back from Sacramento not too long ago, and in Sacramento, the, the homeless are, it's amazing. Homeless are everywhere, and you'll, you'll look down streets, and there'll be tents set up on the sidewalks, just, you know, blocks of tents where homeless are sleeping in tents that they've, that they've set up, and the, and the city is letting them do that. 
And, uh, but, but here's the thing about homelessness in our country. Not every homeless person is this way, but so often homeless people are homeless because of mental illness, because of some of the things going on that, that just basically robs them of the ability to, to, to leave homelessness. So a lot of that is, is playing a part in our country. But in other countries, maybe, and even in our country, personal choices, drug addiction, getting, choosing to get involved in drugs can indeed lead to poverty in your life. Now, let me say this. Please don't be offended. But this is the cause that we conservative evangelicals, we, we tend to stress this cause almost exclusively. We tend to say this is the reason why the poor are poor. It's just their poor choices, which is not, is not true. Yes, that comes to play, but that is not true. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who, remark, who regards a rebuke will be honored. Proverbs 13, 18. Proverbs 23, 21. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Proverbs 23. He who has, lack, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the one who is diligent makes rich. Proverbs 10, 4. And here's the last cause for poverty. A culture of poverty leads to more poverty. This final cause of poverty is, is, says that culture itself affects poverty. And here's the proverb, Proverbs 10, 15. Listen, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but, the poverty, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Now, hear what, the, hear, what the, hear what Solomon is saying. He's saying riches are like a fortified city for us. They, they, ever heard the saying, it, it takes money to make money? That's a true statement. It takes money to make... If you have money... Excuse me. That's not an absolute statement. But it's definitely a true statement. If you have money, you can make money. If you have money, you can go and buy yourself a house. Flip it. We've been watching Flip or Flop and, and uh, whatever those shows are, right? All these people making 50 grand by buying a house and, and putting money in it and turning it over and making all kinds of money with it, right? So if you have money, you can make more money. You, so, so poverty in itself can become a culture that, that leads to more poverty. This verse is saying that poverty can breed poverty unless the cycle is broken. And people who grow up in impoverished cultures or, or in places that are extremely poor often lack the nutrition, they often lack the, uh, the education, the infrastructure that would enable them to move out of poverty. Now, some of you might be saying, if you're listening to me, you're saying, how in the world can nutrition play a part in poverty? Well, I was listening to a TED Talk this week on poverty, and they did a, they did a, a study on, uh, on impoverished farmers. And what they did was, you know, they, they, their harvest came once a year. So most of the year, they're subsistence. They're not having enough to eat most of the year. But when harvest comes, there's a season where they have enough to eat. And, and so they, they, they test on people when after the harvest and just before the harvest. And what they found was that after the harvest, people's IQs increased by 10%, by, by 10 points. Now, I don't know what that means as far as IQs, 10 points, etc. But here's what they discovered. They discovered that when you lack nutrients, when you lack good food, when you lack the ability to eat right, it actually affects your brain power so that you're not making good decisions when you're poor. When you're not eating right, it affects decisions that wouldn't actually allow you maybe to make some better decisions and, and to move out of that. Now, 
Before I go on, let me, I want to make a point here, and I want you to hear me. Poverty is never going to be eradicated. Okay, so I, this morning, my, my goal is not to encourage us to eradicate poverty, because the Bible is pretty clear that poverty will never be eradicated. Here's what Deuteronomy 15 says, the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. And Jesus said, the poor you will have with, we'll have with us always, right? And so we're never going to eradicate all of poverty. However, that does not mean that we won't make progress on poverty, nor does that mean that somehow we're absolved from any responsibility in fighting poverty in our land or in the world. In 1820, 84% of the world lived in absolute poverty. 1820, 84% of the, of the world lived in absolute poverty, which means they are just from day to day trying to get enough food to eat, and they're not getting enough food to eat. To eat. By 1981, that was down to 44%. Last year, for the first time, it dropped below 10%. So 10% of the world now, as opposed to 84% of the world now, is in absolute poverty. In 1990, that was 1.95 million uh, people down, uh, yeah, 1.95 billion people. Today, it's down to 900 million people, okay? It's down to 900 million. And, excuse me, in 1990, it was, it was almost 2 million. Now, it's down to 9... I wrote that wrong, so I'm trying to, just, I'm trying to figure out how I wrote it wrong, okay? It's 1.95 billion. Now, it's down to 900 million because I've got it somewhere else as well. So, and that's quite impressive when you figure that in the last seven years, the, the, the population, excuse me, in, the, in that same time frame, the Earth's population has increased sevenfold. So that's pretty incredible, isn't it? We, we've made a huge impact on, on, extreme, on extreme poverty. But don't let that anesthetize you, okay? Be, because more than half the world's population lives on $2 and something or less a day. And so, yes, they may not be starving, but... There is just not any, any extra. It's, it's, it's a totally different world than you and I are living in. So we won't eradicate poverty, but I, one of the things I hope to show us this morning is, or I hope I'm showing you already, but I'm going to try to show you more, is that there, there is so many verses in the scripture where God says that my job, your job, is to care about the poor and to do something about poverty. Okay, to do something about poverty. In fact, in the scriptures, God equates knowing him with caring for the poor. So he's talking about caring for the poor, and this is what he asks. Is that not what it means to know me? To care for the poor, is that not what it means to know me? In the book of James, in the New Testament, it says this. It says, this is pure and undefiled religion. That you do what? I know you know it. That you care for who? The widows and the orphans, right? Why widows and orphans? The widows and orphans were the, the poorest people in culture back then because they didn't have anybody to care for them. There wasn't any social security. There wasn't any kind of government net to help people. I mean, so those, without family, without family, you were poor. You were on your own. And so he says, this is pure and undefiled religion, that you care for the widows and for the, and for the orphans. And let me say this, that when it came to the, the progress of the early church, you know why the gospel spread so quickly and so fervently across the world? It was because of our love. I mean, people wrote about us and said, 
how these Christians love people. It was because of their love for people that just that, that they impacted the world so, so much. So we're talking about poverty. Let me talk about whose responsibility it is to care for the poor. This may surprise you. You may not agree with me, and that's fine. But uh, I've, I've, I think the Bible says there's three entities that are responsible to care for the poor. And one of them, I think, is government. So in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, verse 3, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So according to that verse, God has established government to protect us from evildoers. And one of the things that we read in the Old Testament is that it is real easy for the rich to use their riches against the poor in an unjust way. And, and so if government has any responsibility, it is to make sure that injustice is not taking place and people are using their riches so as to keep the poor in such a situation as they might find themselves. And uh, so government has that responsibility at least. In Psalm 72, listen to what uh, David says, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. So government, at least at some level, has a responsibility to care for the poor to make sure that there is no oppressor acting unjustly towards, towards the poor. You know, I really want to go further, and, uh, and you know, I'm treading on, on, on thin ice here, I know. But verse 4 says, for he is God's servant to do you good. So there's a sense in which the government has been created by God to do good for people. And, and I think the government has a responsibility to help, especially, maybe we can all agree on this, that especially at the, at the level of disaster and where, where people are, are thrown into absolute poverty because a hurricane or a tornado or something comes through and absolutely wipes away everything that they have, I think we can all agree that the government can do some things to help at that level. Now, we, you know, this is what divides us in our country as to how much, what should the government do for the poor, right? And, and there's some that want redistribution of wealth, and, and, and others want the government to do absolutely nothing for the poor. You know, I think we just need to seek the Lord because we have a responsibility for voting, everybody. Now, I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm simply telling you, you have a responsibility to seek the Lord on these issues and vote according to how the Spirit of God is leading you on these things. We are a government of our people, Supposed to be anyway. And so I would urge you to be praying. Say, God, you know, what responsibility does government have beyond making sure people are not oppressing the poor at some level, you know? And I think there is some. You, you need to figure that out for yourself. Here's, a, uh, here's, the, second, here's the second person that's responsible. The second respo person responsible is the church. It's the church. It's us. It's God's people. 
It's the kingdom of God on earth now. I mean, God didn't, I mean, the kingdom of God that's coming, that's perfect without sin, where we're, we're going to be raised immortal, that's, that's yet to be. But right now, I follow Jesus and I am, to, I am to pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am to be affecting my world now. Jesus is to be living through me now, and so I'm to touch the world now. And we, together, the church, have a responsibility for the poor. Let me see if I can prove it. In the book of uh, Galatians, chapter 2, Paul is recounting his visit with the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. And this is what he says in verse 9, I think of chapter 2. James, Peter, John, those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. And they also asked, all they asked, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So Paul goes to Jerusalem. He meets with the leaders of the church there. He says, listen, God's called me to plant churches amongst the Gentiles. And they agree and they say, hey, we're going we're to plant churches right here in Jerusalem amongst the Jews. You go plant amongst the Gentiles. That's great. Here's the one thing we want to ask you to do. Make sure you remember the poor. Now, it could be that, that James and Peter and all of them are simply saying, Paul, don't you personally ever forget that you have a personal responsibility to the poor. That could be what they're saying. I don't think so, though. I think, I think what they're saying is, just remember this. When you're planting those churches, make sure you're planting churches that remember the poor. Why? Because evidently, this is a huge thing for the early church, and it's evidently a huge thing on the heart of God that we care for the poor. So the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15, uh, verse, chapter 15, verse 25 says, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jewish spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings as well. And so there's several occasions in the book of Acts where we find that for whatever reason, the church in Jerusalem is just being subjected to tre tremendous poverty. And twice now, Paul is talking about taking money to help the poor back in Jerusalem. And he says, this is our responsibility. And so though there's not a lot of admonitions that specifically say to us as the church, hey, you go and, and care for the poor together as the church, I believe the scriptures is pretty clear that we together as the people of God have a responsibility for the poor. Now, let's face it, the church in America, especially the evangelical church of which we are a part, Bible-believing Christians, right? We, by and large, we have not been very concerned for the poor. We have not, especially the absolute poor. I would say to us, listen, and, and, and I'm, I'm talking to me. Remember I told you all, I'm preaching on what God is, is dealing with my heart about, okay? So this is me. If, it, if you're fine, if, if God doesn't have anything to say to you, that's fine. You're doing great. But if this is for me, but I got to tell you, the absolute poor have just not been on my radar. This haven't been on my radar. And I've gone overseas. And you know what? You go overseas and you see the absolute poor. You see the little lady with this bag of sticks on her back with a little hole on the side of a hill trying to eke out enough food to eat. You see that. I've seen that so many times. You come home and you get immersed in your own culture and you don't even remember it anymore. 
David Platt in his book Radical said this, Meanwhile, the poor man is outside our gate. He is hungry. We certainly wouldn't ignore our kids while we sang songs and entertained ourselves, but we are content with ignoring other parents' kids. Many of them are our spiritual brothers and sisters in developing nations. They are suffering from malnutrition, deformed bodies and brains, and preventable diseases. At most, we are throwing our scraps to them while we indulge in our pleasures here. That is not what the people of God do. Regardless of what we say or sing or study on Sunday morning, rich people who neglect the poor are not the people of God. Now, maybe you don't like David's kind of all-out-there sort of words, right? But, but this, is, this is what God's challenging my heart about because maybe the rest of us will say, I'm not rich. You want to see the rich? Man, that's Bill Gates. He's the rich. You know, no, I'm the ri- I am rich. When I sit on my porch in the mornings with Ann and drink coffee and we read our Bible together, I know I am the rich. If the heart of God is so profoundly for the care of the poor, would he not expect his church to care for the poor? I think he would. And then finally, the, the third person responsible for the poor would be you and me. As individual believers, we have a responsibility for the poor. And this is by far the easiest to defend. It's, just, it's, it's written in your Bibles from the beginning to the end. If there is a poor man among your brothers at any, in any of your towns in the land the Lord has given you, uh, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother, Deuteronomy 15, 7. Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed, Psalm 82. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done, Proverbs 19, 11. If a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Isaiah 58, this is, uh, you, ought to read this, this, you ought to read Isaiah 58. This is the kind of fast I've chosen. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And you say, wait a minute, that's Old Testament, that's Old Testament. Here's it in the New Testament. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Here's a big one from 1 John. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So in my mind, the Bible teaches a cooperative effort to help the poor from government, the church, and from you and me individually. That's how he wants us to help take care of the poor. Now, we come to the most important question, and I've got 10 minutes, and I'm going to finish on time. But, but I come to the most, most significant question is, and this is the one that I wrestle with, because everything I've told you so far, I'm really convinced of, but here's the question I wrestle with, and, and Anne and I wrestle with together. How do I, as a follower of Jesus, live out my responsibility to the poor? How do I do that? You know, on, you know do I sell everything I have and give it to the poor? Do I live in the smallest house I can live in with the least amount of clothes and the least amount of possessions and give everything else to the poor? You know, I don't think so. Even though Jesus told one rich dude, he said, listen, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. He told that man to get rid of, to divest himself of everything and come and follow me. So but I don't think that's what Jesus is asking us to do. If we all did that, then we'd all be on the poor list. Other people would have to take care of us, right? So, so I don't think that's exactly what he's asking. 
So, but what is he asking of me? And how do I serve the poor specifically? So I, I have four suggestions that I am seeking to live out in my life. And so I want to share them with you. And if there's anything that encourages you, you, you can do the same. But here are my four, here are the four things that I'm trying to do, Ann and I are trying to do as, as it comes to our family and our responsibility to care for the poor. Number one, I'm praying for God to change me. And I want to encourage you to pray for God to change you. If there's anything that's true in the Bible, it's that God, God really, really respects, loves, appreciates a humble heart. And here's another thing, that I really need help changing my heart. It's, it's not easy for me to change my heart. You just think about what's your besetting sin. How easy is it for you to conquer that? It's hard for you to change your heart, right? And so I'm praying, I'm praying for God to change me. I want to encourage you to pray that God would change you. Here are the three things that I'm praying for myself. Number one, I am seeking to always be thankful to God for what I have and so in what he's given to me. You know, was it King David in Psalm 23? He says, you have caused my lot to fall in green pastures. Is that, is that Psalm 23? Okay. I mean, that's, that's what it is. God has caused my lots. My, my lots have fallen in green pastures, and I recognize that. And, and so I want to be thankful for it. I, I don't want to take it for granted. And so when, when we're praying and, I, and I'm sitting on the porch or whatever, I'm trying to remember to start my prayers with not, Lord, thank you, a mindless thank you, but a real thank you. God, thank you for what you've You've allowed in my life, what's in my life, thank you. Thank you for giving me the, all the benefits that I had to start with. Thank you for giving me the parents. I mean, thank you for what I have. And then the second thing I've been praying is I'm asking God to help me accept my responsibility to help the poor in the world, to help the absolute poor. So I'm asking God to help me accept mine, to take on my responsibility. And the third thing I'm praying is God, give me a love for the poor. So it's not just that I'm doing it because this is my responsibility. I'm doing it because I really love the poor. I really care about them. Can I quote you uh, our, our, uh, one of our first leaders, the Apostle Paul? You know, if I give everything I have to the poor, but I don't love them, I'm just, a, I'm just a noisy gong. I'm nothing. So I'm praying, God, help me love the poor. Not just, not just take my responsibility seriously, but love them. Number two, here's the second encouragement I give to you that, that I'm doing. View your money and your resources as a stewardship from God that in some way he's saying to you, use what I'm entrusting you to help the poor. So I'm praying and I'm saying, and I'm saying God, here I want to use my responsibility. I mean, I won't take my responsibility seriously. And then, and then I'm, I'm saying, God, I, I want to see my resources. I want to see the money that you've made me a steward over. I know that in some way you want me to use that to care for the poor. Now, this is not a message on stewardship, but I think most of you are followers of Jesus and you know what the Bible says about stewardship. It says basically everything you have belongs to God. And if you have it, God's entrusted it to you to use it. He's entrusted you to manage it for him, and so use it the way he wants you to use it. And by the way, this whole, this whole thing about tithing is, is just not right. It's not one-tenth belongs to God and nine-tenths belongs to you to do whatever you want. It's ten-tenths belongs to God, and you use it all the way he wants you to use it. All right? And so you're, you're a steward, so... 
you know, use your stewardship, be willing to, to use it to help the poor at some level, okay? Hopefully, I've shown us that caring for the poor isn't optional, that from beginning to end, God is calling us to care for the poor individually, as the church, even government. Here's what God says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, Here's 1 Timothy chapter 6, as for the rich in this present age, and by the way, whether you own it or not, it's you. Whether you own it or not, it's you. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who provides rich, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are, they are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now again, I, don't, I want you not to miss this. He gives us every good thing to enjoy. So God's not, God's not trying to take away your joy. He's saying, hey, I'm providing you so you can have joy. But he's also saying, man, be generous in that. You know, don't, don't just make it all about you. I'm very convinced that my riches, that the things God has given Anne and myself to steward, that I am to use them to care for the poor at some level in some way. Do you remember the story of the, of the widow's mite? The widow's mite? She, Jesus is watching out over the treasury and all these people are giving money and this little lady comes with two pennies and sticks it in and he says... Hey, she gave more than everybody else. And these other guys are putting her bagfuls of money in. And he says, she gave more than everybody. And of course, you know, I'm sure everybody's like, what, what are you talking about? He says, because she gave out of her need. Now, here's something that you may or may not know, but the more money you make, the less you give percentage-wise. I mean, it's statistically true. The more money people make, the less they give percentage-wise. And, and I, think, I think it's because we begin to say, ah, you know, I've given enough. I've given enough, enough money, right? We don't, we don't look about what our stewardship is. We don't look about how much God's entrusted to us. We look about what we're given and say, well, that's a lot. I'm going to stop there. I really want to encourage you to, to, to look at what God's entrusted to you and budget and give generously. Give generously to the poor. Maybe, and maybe listen, I'm not talking about giving to us, okay? I'm not talking about giving to Bacon's Castle. I'm talking about giving to the poor. Uh, you sponsor a family with world vision. Did you know our youth group sponsors a family with world vision? I don't know how that came about. I don't know if John did it or Nathan did it, but, but our youth group sponsors a, family, a, a child. And I think, from what I understand, they all give and, and, and we pay the bill for, uh, for, those, for that kid. Why don't you do that? Why don't I do that? You know, if we sponsor a child through World Vision or one of those other organizations, I mean, we're helping, we're, we're helping float a whole family. We're helping raise a whole family out of poverty when we do that. I'd, I'd encourage you to budget to this. Be intentional in it, okay? Be intentional in it, however you do it. But grow yourself in it, too. Why not grow yourself in it? Number three. I've got three minutes. Grow your perspective on the poor by looking for God's heart in His Word. And here's what I mean by this. I mean, read your Bible with eyes to look about what God says about poverty and your responsibility. You know what I found here in the last five years of my life? You can read your Bible... You can read it all the time, and you just miss so much because you just, you think you know, you think you know, and you just, you read right over it, and you just miss what it's actually saying, and you, you just read right over it. 
Here's what I'm asking you to do in growing your perspective on this issue of poverty. I'm asking you to read your Bible looking for it. So when you're reading it and it pops out there, say, hey, there it is, and highlight it in your Bible. If it's you and your wife, say, hey, Anne, look at that. It talks about our responsibility to the poor. Point it out. Talk about it. Highlight it. In Sunday school class, you're reading something from Revelation and it mentions the poor. Point it out. Hey, look at what it says about the poor here, even though that's not what your subject is. What I'm asking you is grow your perspective in the Word of God on God's heart for the poor by looking for it as you read. And you're going to be amazed. You're going to be amazed. And the final thing, get your hands dirty by helping the relative poor all around you. Get your hands dirty by helping someone. Listen, I don't live in Congo, and I can send some money to Congo And I have, and I will probably be doing more. And we do, we do. Did you know, maybe you don't even know this, but our church sends 5% of our budget that you give, we send it to Congo to feed the poor. I mean, no strings attached, we give it to a church, and, and, and they're hopefully, you know, they're hopefully distributing, feeding Orphan children or, or children who have no food, they're, they're feeding them two or three times a week with the money we send. And um, maybe you didn't know that, but that, that's, what we're, that's what we're doing. We're, I lost my train of thought. Oh, but, but I'm not in the Congo right now. I, I'm not over there, but this is where I live in Surrey. And I don't know that there's any absolute poor in Surrey, but there are people that are relatively poor in Surrey that I can help. And what I mean by I can help is, and I don't just mean dollars, but I mean we can help with dollars too, but, but I can help by, you know, I had this great opportunity that I don't know why it happened to me, but I was born to parents who went to college, and I was born to parents who then paid for me to go to college. And you know, and I have all kinds of things that, that God gave me, good and perfect gifts from him for me, that I can turn around and maybe somebody who didn't go to college, maybe somebody who didn't have a father to teach them what it means to work and the responsibility of work. And I, listen, if I'm willing to get my hands dirty, then, and then I mean that figuratively, if I'm willing to invest time and energy, then, then maybe I can help somebody in the same way. Now, I got to tell you, Of the things that I'm sharing with you, this is the one where God is really hammering me. He's really hammering me. I, 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 I want to just bless God for Anne because God's been doing this in Anne's life for a while, hands-on stuff. And, and I've been resistant, and I've been resistant. And, and, and you know, but this week it was like, I, I want to do more. I want to get involved. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work on building long-term relationships With, with, one, with one couple, with one couple, to try to help encourage them and influence them out of relative poverty and into a life of, of, of work and, and provision. And if I can help one family, that's a good thing. When I was young in the faith, only liberal Christians cared for the poor. Our goal as evangelical Christians was to share the gospel. They're compromisers, those social gospel people. All they want to do is help the poor. They don't want to share the gospel. No, we need to share the gospel so that people, when they die, can, can, can go to heaven. That's an inferior compromise. I no longer believe that. I no longer believe that. I am called to share the gospel with people, and it should be my driving ambition and heart to tell people about Jesus because Jesus 
wants to give you eternal life. But I tell you what, in all the length of my days, I want to do that. But I'll tell you what, he's also called me to love the poor. He's also called me to care for the poor. He's also called me to seek to raise the poor. And I want to do that all the days of my life too. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.